Hey, Gen. Hey, Job. Hey, man, I fucked up. <laughs> yeah. I fucked up real good, buddy. Yeah. So this is episode Big Cabin Yuck, take two. And you're wondering, <laughs> what the fuck is Big Cabin Yuck? Well, I said that when we recorded our episode about Friday the 13th. Problem mm-hmm. is, I lost Genhart's audio. Yeah, so it was just Justin talking to himself, like it, it was just the Jub show. I was shouting into the void, and then the void was talking back. <laughs> and but, I was the void. Right, but you can't hear the <laughs> void, except me right. because I'm insane. So nobody could hear it. It was useless to publish. So here we are again. We're going to redux this the best we can. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a couple things that we talked about that are now lost, and we'll probably bring them up again. Uh, I had a big rant about Tekken. I'm just going to save that for another time because I don't want to just – I don't want it to be a complete just, like, same thing. Right. Uh, and now we can have a bit of a better discussion on a couple things. In the original episode, you talked about where you were at currently in FF7. Since then, you've beat it, so we might as well have a bigger discussion on that. I have not uh, only- I believe – I also talked about control in much the same way. I had yet to beat it, and now I've beat it and platted it, so I can talk about that I've uh, I've not only beat Final Fantasy VII, but I have also um, did all of the extra fights in the game. Oh, hard mode shit. Uh, a couple of them. I, I did a couple of the hard mode fights. No, but there's uh, extra content you could do by uh, – if you go – I mean I'll get back in. I'll get into that during the episode. We'll get into that during okay. the episode. But yeah, I fucked up. I'm sorry. Now, we <laughs> I assume our Friday the 13th section will be mostly the same. Yeah. Because, like, the, any any relevant jokes like Big Cabin Yuck won't be there, but it will be there in spirit. I will say it again. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Because <laughs> there is a Big Cabin Yuck, mm. and I have to talk about the Big Cabin Yuck. The Lost Gen and Jub episode, super rare, rare find. If I mean, you could find it, I mean, it's people, just Justin talking to I mean, himself. Yeah, if you want it, I'll, I'll give it to you, but like, why? <laughs> there is a Lost Gen and Jub episode, which um, when we had a prior podcast hosting site, I believe it's on there. It, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it just didn't make the, the move. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, it didn't transfer to our newer current podcast hosting site um it's one of our matrix episodes and i'm not too concerned about it because like i don't know it it was probably funny but i feel like we do a better job now anyway uh i wasn't even i wasn't even writing notes down at that point for the movies we watched i was just like you know hey like yeah that was this this happens like i don't know we have done the grow (laughs) yeah you know sometimes you gotta grow Yep, but then, like all podcasts, sometimes, shit just happens, bro. I've yeah. lost, I think I've lost, I've lost two episodes of our other, of my other podcast, Football After Dark. I've just lost two episodes, and that shit sucks. <laughs> yeah. But I'd say, you know, recording two podcasts for about three years, and losing a total of three episodes, I don't think that's too bad. Fuck it. We should lose all of them. Fuck it. Yeah, fuck you guys. Just I'm throw out. them all in the trash. All right, see you guys later. I'm out of here.
Don't know what that sounds like. Everybody, welcome to Ganesh Up Show. That's Ken. Hey, that's me. Hello. I am Chubb. That's him. We're going to talk about Friday the Thirteenth the second time today. And if you listen, not to the, the second movie, not part two. No, just part be- two of part one because we suck. deleted right. to the ether. Um, because I made big mistake, and you know, it's okay. We're just gonna go in. You get, you get two episodes this week, kind of. I, I don't know. Maybe we'll delay the second one a bit so you have more time to edit. Yeah, that, I mean, we'll we'll talk about that later. But basically, yeah, you you had a little bit more of a delay here. So, um, yeah. So we're gonna Thanks. kick this sucker off. I'm just gonna go straight into it. I have beaten Final Fantasy VII remake. Now you better timestamp this for the people that uh, I, I I admittedly, as far as I know, few people that have not beat it yet that we know that would even listen to this. But just in case you're listening to this for any reason, I would probably timestamp this because we're going to get into the the spoilery times. Yeah, I'm going to give a real quick, just a non-spoiler, like overall, like review thing of the game. And then we'll get into some spoiler discussions. Okay. Um, now that I've finished the game, uh, I think it's my favorite game I've played so far this year. For sure. Actually, it is. It's my favorite game that I've played so far this year. It's really fucking good. It, it takes, may not have much competition. Uh, way it's looking this year, I don't know. Well, we got Ghost of Tsushima and Last of Us coming up. And uh, Cyberpunk, and Cyberpunk. Uh, I believe. Which I'm conf- like confident will be at least good, but I don't know how great it will be. But I didn't have that much confidence of this game going in either. But part of that was because I'm not a fan of Final Fantasy VII. I think it's okay. It's a, it's a fine enough RPG. I didn't like uh, when I initially played it. I didn't like the translation errors. It knocked some stuff off for me. Hurt some stuff tonally. Um, I played it much later in my life, so I. It's harder to appreciate the games from that era when you play them now, I think. Yeah, sometimes. It really depends on your own nostalgia. Yeah. I had. I got to say, me trying to play FF7 for the first time a couple of years ago was pretty difficult, not having you been used to that kind of shit. Right. Yeah, I played it about eight or nine years ago now. But that was still like, you know, two whole ass console generations after that game came out. And uh it just didn't it, it just didn't feel comfortable for me. I didn't wasn't really engaged with it. I uh I couldn't like really take a liking to any of the characters besides like I still kinda like Tifa and Aerith. I didn't like Barrett. Thought he was uh he was a dickhead. He didn't like how he uh I didn't understand why he was the leader of Avalanche, really. Um, I thought all the all the supporting cast in Avalanche at the beginning there were uh, were like basically cannon fodder and were useless. Um, going later in the game, I thought Vincent was stupid and I hated him. Didn't like Kate Smith. Oh, 
Oh no, you didn't like the Sonic the Hedgehog character? No. Yuffie's you okay. didn't like the edgy man? Yuffie's a good partner, I think. Yeah, I like See, that. I don't know. I, I don't necessarily go this harsh on FF7, a game that I never beat. But um, I, I, I thought it had its own charm. Like, granted, I was playing the remaster, which does fix some of those translation errors. It fixes and, a uh, lot of them. I played, yeah. I played a physical PS1 copy of the game. Yeah, that's the one that uh, has, you know... Some things <laughs> has a lot of just a lot of stuff that just doesn't make any sense. This guy, our sick, <laughs> is a, a classic. So anyway, if I had to guess, everything you just said about the, how shitty the characters are is the opposite yes, in the remake. Absolutely. <laughs> My God, I love every single I love every single protagonist in this game. There's not one that I don't like. They Square Enix managed to pull that off and I'm like massively surprised. They like just going from the top, they like incredibly humanized Barrett and like really displayed to you why he's at the position he's in and like how good of a speaker he is and how like motivated he is. And then and then it gives you like a lot more because like with his daughter and stuff, it gives you a lot more like you know, just feeling of humanity with him. And it really helps. Um, the supporting cast are all fantastic. The other members of Avalanche were really cool. You get a whole fucking chapter just dedicated to building them up and having Cloud like just go on a mission with them. I think that's the better way to have their deaths mean something, by the way. Yeah. Absolutely. And they did. When, it hap- when, when that happened, I, I really did feel something. I was like – I was fucking crushed. Yeah, I, I remember playing the original, and I didn't feel a whole lot when Jesse died. Now I feel like it would be like, oh god. Yeah, dude, it sucked. <laughs> it really did suck. They, they, that entire section of the game is just like it really impactful. They did a they did a great job of making just the world feel lived in. Like you're walking around, and you get to hear conversations from other people. A lot of the side quests are super good and engaging. Besides a couple like really dumb fetch quests. My god, Wall Market is like by by far the best area in the game. Mm. And it's the one that encapsulates like their design philosophy for like your map. It's it's so full of life. And it's awesome to be there, especially when you're you go there the first time at night. There is so much ambient dialogue in that game from NPCs to the point where it's like ludicrous how much there is. Yeah. Um other games may take note of this down the line, I bet. Once again, it reminds I've, me I've never of- seen this much ambient dialogue from NPCs, at least in an RPG. Yeah. You know, this this is like the level of stuff I would expect from something like a like a GTA game where they record like two hours of crap for each pedestrian to say when you're bumping into them and shit. Right. It's on that level. Um, it's one, a lot of this is design philosophy that they got influenced from by the Yakuza series, which is all over this game. Just this, this, uh, just this mentality of trying to make your world feel lived in your city feel like there are people there and there are things happening. It's not just a playground for you. It's not just this place you're walking through. It's it's like a real lived-in world. I think Yakuza does a tremendous job with that. 
and and a lot of that is through like just ambient dialogue. Now none of it's like recorded in Yakuza; it's all text, but it's coming up as you're walking around and you could talk to people and stuff. And all of that is like also in this game. It's really amazing how they handled everything with that, and it feels amazing to play. It it looks gorgeous too. It's probably the best looking PS4 game that I've played since. It looks super good for PS4. Oh my god! Yeah, it, it's really incredible. There are some. There I can't. Are some can you imagine issues. how that's going to look on PC though? Dude, running that shit. Like I, I don't know. I might play it again on PC because I kind of want to just fucking. <laughs> I want to see that shit. I just I just beefed up my computer, and I'd love to see that shit. I'm running games. I'm running games 144 FPS, which is like brand new to me. Feels like you're playing a whole yeah. different game, dude. It's crazy. But so, yeah, um, the game's incredible, and I love it very much. Do you want to talk about how it's not really a remake? Yeah, we're, hold on. Yeah, we're gonna get into that. <laughs> Well, what do you want to talk I'm about going first to then? Take a time signature. I just want to be marked on the time. Okay. Yeah. So spoiler time. Here's your final warning. We're about to get into this shit. Time code is going to be in the description of the episode if you want to skip. Yeah, be sure to check that. Yeah. Damn. They're really out here. Saying fuck you, we're gonna do whatever we want with Final Fantasy Seven. Yeah, um, the reaction to this has been quite divisive, but like, the, the basics of it is at the end of the story, uh, they kill fate <laughs> and and are uh, you know going into uncharted territory. So with the second of these uh, who knows how many installments of the remake of Final Fantasy VII, um, shit's going to be possibly very different. I'm assuming that a lot of the major, major things at play will still happen, but there could be remixed elements in it yes. because it's really taking for granted, and this is a positive and a negative, that you are familiar with... Everything that happened in Final Fantasy VII, which is not usually how a remake operates, but it's implying that this is happening again, and Sephiroth has maybe time-traveled. That's what I gather. That's what I'm gathering from it. All the references to Advent Children. Or maybe it's in another universe. Uh, There's references to Advent Children. There's references to, you know, Crisis Core. There's even references to Dirge of Cerberus. In this game, uh, which I don't know why they bothered, but it is there. Uh, If you are a huge fan of FF7, I bet a lot of this game is even better for you. If you're not and you were looking to and even if you were looking to experience it for the first time, this is probably kind of alienating. There, I know there's certain things that happen that I've seen from watching Let's Plays where I'm just like, put yourself in the shoes of someone who has never played Final Fantasy VII. Oh, look, it's Kate Sith. <laughs> yeah, it's really strange that they did that. <laughs> like, if you didn't know, if you weren't in the know, 
you'd just be like, what's this, what's this Sonic character doing here? And then they never show him again. Yep, just for that one second. We'll just be in... <sighs> All right, so... Kate Sith, right? Mm-hmm. Is not like a... I'm trying to remember correctly. Kate Sith that's really isn't like a living thing, right? It's no, like, he like a robot. Right, it's like it's a robot. That's what I thought. And he's like, so you're telling me that Kate Sith was like ordered as a robot to just go out there and feel sad while the Sector 7 was just collapsing? Yes. <laughs> Why? So you, I, I know why. So I break see Kate Sith, but like, why? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like it's for the, you know, for the reference. Yeah, for all the weird like meta shit or like foreshadowing shit in this game, I think that's the probably the most egregious one. Honestly, I really do think so. I don't mind a game like this asking more questions than it has answers. Yeah, because it's the first one. So that's okay. Um, everything with the end of the game, when you're you know killing the plot ghosts and then the uh, the Advent children in some weird fucking fucked up form come out and beat the shit out of you, it's like yeah, like that's all fine for somebody playing that game for the first time. That doesn't mean anything to them. For people who have unfortunately watched Advent Children, like me. You kind of notice like their weapons and stuff, and you're like, "Wow, these uh, this this is the kids from Advent Children." Mm-hmm. Yes, and it kind of feeds into that narrative that I've been seeing a lot, which I, I'm kind of like on, kind of towards agreeing with that Sephiroth is the Advent Children Sephiroth, and he's time traveled to preserve himself and try to get it right this time. In his eyes. Mm-hmm. I, uh, just to go back to another plot point real quick, the Kate Sith thing. Uh-huh. Um, see, I was iffy on what Kate Sith even was when I was initially playing FF7. I got to the reveal of who was controlling him, but I still was like kind of confused as to like what the fuck even is going on <laughs> and one one matt dustman from your other podcast explained it to me better than anyone else has ever explained it to me Hit me. and he said the following kate sith is reeves mmo character <laughs> oh my god okay which uh yes that is what's going on Ex- yeah exactly now what's happening i i don't know if there was any reason they couldn't have just shown reeve going like no the bastards did it or whatever right <laughs> as opposed to showing kate sith <laughs> like he had to control kate sith doing that <laughs> but whatever um so then the real galaxy brain thing happens at the end though right it all it all plays it besides the weird stuff with the plot ghosts. Um, yes, it's pretty much playing it all by the book with just some extra content until the end of the game. These fucking ghosts, the fucking these bastards behind all fucking six of the Final Destination movies. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Those ones. same you one. You were supposed to die here. However, 
you did not. So therefore, we have to kill you later. <laughs> it's kind of the same idea, I guess. But um, so they kill those, though. So now every all bets are off. Who knows what the fuck's going on? And then that final stinger with fucking Zack. What the fuck is that shit? That's just crazy. First off, despite everything, I was mm-hmm. really happy to see Zach. Like, it, well, he's a cool, great character, and we never really got to see him interact with the, a lot of the FF Seven cast. He's the best which, character. That'll be cool. He's the best character in Final Fantasy Seven, and he's not even actually like in the main game. Barely. Yeah. So, well. Like, Cloud's pretending to be him, I guess. Yeah, but um, sort of. That's really complicated and weird. I know. Here's the thing. Uh, I I assume he's in an alternate universe. Right. They kind of give that vibe off because, like, after he survives, that bag blows by, and it's a different Stampy than like the one Mm -hmm. you see in there. It's like more of like a puppy-looking boy. But you could also Mm -hmm. give the excuse that they might have changed the logo, and that's just how it looked many years ago. It's hard to say. Either way, there is a reason they're showing that to you, the player, as the final stinger of the game. Zach's going to be in the next one, or at at least at some point. And I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't playable in his own little chunks of segments. I think that would be fun. I mean, depending on how they played it. Yes. I wouldn't mind. I believe so, too. Oh, even if like they they set all that up, it's just like have like a little side game. Like, hey, no, I want to. Just a little side yeah. game. You play as Zach. Yeah, it could be cool to like every now and then have a chapter where it's like, what's going on with Zach? You know, it could be like a uh, you know what? It, oh, actually, it's going to be exactly like this. It's going to be like switching to um, Roxas. Yeah. In Kingdom Hearts. Yep. And and. You, you know it's going to be exactly like that. The more I think about it. Oh, yeah. It's the same guy. Nomura. It's Tetsuya Nomura. Like, it's the same thing. It's that yes. guy. Yeah. I mean, this is probably his most well-directed video game. And it's funny because he he didn't even know he was directing it. Yeah, the development <laughs> history of this is kind of insane. Um, I, I'm glad that that first attempt at FF7 Remake was so shitty that they had to make this one. Um, yeah, which is is a weird way to put that, but I, I think you know what I mean. <laughs> like yeah. it could have been a generic, not great remake. Yeah. Now it took six years from announcement to release. Of yeah. This, but what this of, wasn't in development that whole time, as is though. From what we can gather, this is probably only in development for two and a half to three years. Yes, so them chunking it up like this is interesting, and hopefully that means you won't have to wait too, too long on a part two here. From what But from what the team has said, um, I think this popped up on Famitsu recently, mm-hmm. in an interview, they said that they uh, are still in, in like the planning stage for part two. Yeah. But they have like their scope down, and they have the engine down. They have the combat system down. So, and they want, and they, their scope for the second one is bigger. I mean, I understand why because now you're out of Midgar, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there has to be some kind of open overworld of right. some sort. I'm curious to see how they handled that. 
if I were to guess, it's probably going to be like probably closer to like the way Final Fantasy 15 handled its open world. Which, great. Give me that. Dude, there's vehicles in the original FF7. There's no reason there can't be in this. Right, exactly. And I think they're going to do something similar to that, where you are going to be like driving around or flying around in your airship to get later on and shit. Oh, fuck yeah, that's right. That's going to be the shit. That's going to be amazing. I cannot wait for Sid. Oh, my God. Dude, he's going to be such going to be such a fucking asshole. I can't wait. I for hope him. they nail him so bad. God. I am not concerned. Well, I can't wait for everybody because, yeah. like, man, they, they might even make Vincent cool. Like, you don't know. Dude, that would we'll blow see. my fucking mind. I mean, they haven't, they haven't missed yet. Like, even a lot of people don't like him. I, like, I even like Roach, dude, that new character they added, the, the, new, uh, the new soldier. I even like him. Because he's just like a fucking goofball. It's fun. He's like he's he's literally a Yakuza character, by the way. <laughs> he's well, like he's like a just like a basically like a weirder Majima. <laughs> I guess that's one way to put it. Um, yeah. So can I get Galaxy Brain real quick? Galaxy Brain, me, please the end of this game implies that there are alternate universes. Correct. Now, I have always assumed that Final Fantasy as a franchise already existed in a multiverse because each game takes place in its own universe. There are constants, such as Chocobos and the Summons, those kind of exist outside the realms of your universes. Right. I would say. If we're getting to the point where there's possible interaction between alternate universes, the end game of this is going to be really interesting to see if they go so far as to have actual crossovers between the other fucking numbers in the series. I don't think they do that. I think they might just for like a thing. I honestly, like, like we did it once. Honestly, I don't know. I the think, more I think about things like building up in popular culture where you have like, you know, everyone shows up at the end of Endgame. And and it was like a moment that like everyone loved. The more I think that we're gonna see similar things happen in other areas in pop culture, and if you get that kind of moment for Final Fantasy, I don't know if it would be good or if they should do it. <laughs> I'm leaning towards no, but that's my galaxy brain idea. <laughs> Now, what if they did that? What if at the end they have to fight Super Sephiroth and like fucking, you know, Tidus comes out of a portal? <laughs> now, that's the one that's rumored to already be connected to FF7. Because of, yeah, maybe just Shinra. by a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's uh, the theory would be that. Yeah, this happened like much. The 10 happened much earlier, I think, actually. Well, someone has to form Shinra. So if the person named Shinra, I guess that would make sense. Right. This happened like, well, still like during like the time of the ancients and stuff, because the world is yeah. like very like lush and like there's all these like magical people. 
Well, time travel might also be a thing as, as opposed to dimensional travel as well. Right. You know, we could go full blown comic book fucking crisis on infinite Earths tier. Yeah. I'm just saying be wary of that because Nomura might go full Nomura. <laughs> like, awesome. Honestly. You don't know. So. Oh my God, it's Noctis. He came out of a portal. Whoa. Holy shit, it's Noctis. I think that. There is gonna be like a like a universe crossover type thing, but I think it's just with Zach. I think if, if you're gonna start getting like in the second game like like little playable chunks where you're playing as Zach, I think they're gonna start like building it up to where in the final fight with Sephiroth, Zach shows up, and then Cloud gets yeah. to fight alongside Zach, and then you know after that you know Zach has to return to his world or whatever. There's a lot of ways that they could go about this, and, and I'm very curious to see which direction they go because it's kind of a uh, you know, it's 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 extremely interesting. I'm extremely interested. I'm listening, but I'm also like wary because this is risky. Yeah. <laughs> and they risky. could fuck it up if, it, if and all of these games are. Like just about as good as this one, we're okay. This game's incredible, and it, as long as they stay like around that same like quality, mm-hmm. I'm in. I'm fucking in. They, I think, like more than anything else, going forward here, they need to just stay incredibly character driven. Something that the original game could not do. That game is not character-driven, the original FF7. The characters in that game mostly suck. <laughs> I I wouldn't go that far, but it is a little more simplistic and weird. Cloud sucks. Um, Cloud sucks big time. Uh, yeah, they improved Cloud more than anyone else. I'll tell you that. Basically just by making fun of him. Uh, well, you should. <laughs> he, he shows a lot more human quality towards the end of the game though well his development is great that that's see i like that kind of character development though like if you start out as an asshole you can't end up an asshole at the end right um of the first game i mean he makes the this is an awesome part when they're climbing up like the, the the rubble of sector seven to get into the shinra building yes and then they just they're just overlooking like a beautiful skyline Ooh. and then like Tifa gets like real emotional, like just kind of like sinking in about everything that's happened, and she misses her bar and her way of life. And Barrett's like, "We'll build you a new bar." And then, mm. then Tifa's like, "Yeah, we got to do it." She turns to Cloud's like, "Will you help us?" And then he smirks and then says, "For a price," like he said to everybody at the beginning of the game. And then, like, mm-hmm. but he's smiling when he says it, and they all laugh. And it's like, "Wow, here's here's your character growth." That's pretty awesome. It's like he's he's now a person who cares about these people. I mean, he's pretty much cared about Tifa the whole game. But like he yeah. you see like him like making jokes like when they get to the Shinder building, he's like joking with Barrett and like <clears throat> Yeah. Like compared to how the game starts, that's that's a lot of growth. Oh yeah, well when the game starts they hate each other. Cloud yeah. and Barrett. They're, they're not fans of each other. Cloud is like in it for the money. He doesn't care about Barrett. He thinks he's like a like a Zionist, like m- angry man. He sort of is, but he that's is. what's great about him. Right. 
but then it's like a conspiracy theorist, but he's correct. Right. Um, it's just, he's right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but I like how radical he seems. Yeah. But, but then he has like something the original couldn't accomplish. He has his human side and every character yes. has that. You get to get to see Jesse's backstory and like how, like, like, you like, all three of those characters, all three of the Avalanche members, you know, Jesse, Bix, and Wedge, were all fucking just like cannon fodder. You get into this game, and they all have like really distinct pasts and like motivations, and they all have like great dialogue. Uh, I love everything. Every interaction with Jesse is so much fun. She's such a fun character. I mean, as far as I could tell, she's she's the one that's still dead, which makes me sad. But I think it's like way more impactful, so I'm, I'm like also okay with it. Well, you can't change every death, right? You know, yeah, I, I'm pretty like, confident they're gonna change Earth from dying, but who knows what they'll do? Nah. that's the big question that everybody nope. has. They aren't gonna do it. Still they gonna kill her. Do it. They're still gonna kill her, but they're gonna make you think she's not gonna die. Yeah, you're gonna get to the point in the game where you go to that uh, prophet guy. What's his fucking name? The guy who tells you about the live stream. What's his name? I forget. Fuck. It's a really dumb name. <laughs> I don't remember. I'm sure. But uh, he's, he's like a prophet guy. He tells you about the live stream. He's going to do that, and then this, they probably, and then he shows up pretty shortly after, you know, like all this Midgar stuff. So he's going to be in the second game. And mm-hmm. he is he is going to explain to you know the party members about the live stream and everything. And then he, there's no way he doesn't know. He's going to talk about, like, what happened with the plot ghosts and, like, time manipulation and shit like that. And it's going to get the thought in their heads. And, like, Sephiroth's going to keep fucking with Cloud and it's going to put, like, images in his head that he's going to kill Aerith. Just like in the original game. It's like, hey, you're going to kill Aerith. But then yeah. he's going to find some way or another to learn that Sephiroth's this is you know, all a ploy for Sephiroth to kill Aerith. They're going to do everything in their power to prevent it from happening. But it's going to be all like a fucking big-ass galaxy brain plan from fucking Sephiroth. He's going to kill her anyway. But it's, it's going to get you convinced to the point that like you're confident she's not going to die. They have a plan together. Then it's all going to fucking foil, and she's still going to die. And then they're going to spin it so hard that it makes it just as gut-wrenching as the first time. That's a good take on that. That could probably still happen. I don't think you. I don't think you get away with not killing Aerith. I. Uh, it depends. It depends on how they go about it. I really don't think you get away with it. I think if you if I think you could kill somebody else and like make it kill Tifa just maybe? as heart wrenching. Yeah, I bet. I mean, you could like exchange that and kill Tifa instead, which that would that would kill me. That would murder me. She's my favorite character. Yeah, that would suck. <laughs> I absolutely love Tifa. She's so like, I love how how just like compassionate and human she is. She's like the voice of reason in that entire group of weirdos. Mm-hmm. And she's which makes her like a lot of fun in her interactions with everybody. And she's super cool, and I love Tifa. And I would be fucking heartbroken if she died. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see. Yep, uh, three be, years from now. I don't know when the fuck they'll make it. Um, that's one, that's we'll my see. guess. My guess is 2023. Like early, like around this time, 2023. 
Is this going to be even done this decade? Yes. Jesus. It will finish at the end of this decade. <laughs> Crazy to think. All right. Well, that's the end of that. I'm going to talk about a game I beat. Hit me. What, what you got? Control. Hell yeah. I'm glad. So you finally finished it, huh? I did. Um, you know, I got stuck on a boss for a while and I stopped playing it for like a week. And then I just out of nowhere beat it last night. And I was like, huh, did not expect to beat it that quick. Did not expect it to end where it ended. Uh, but like, um, and, and then I got the plat this morning cause like I just had to do a couple little cleanup things. Yeah. I heard the plat's really attainable in that game. It's really attainable. So here's the thing. Uh, this game as a whole, um, if you don't, I think I talked about it before, but if you don't know what control is, it's a game from remedy, um, third person shooter, uh, with like some superpower-ish elements to it, to how it controls, uh, but it's mainly just a third-person shooter. Um, and its universe, it, it like takes place entirely in like a federal building uh, that is like a mystical building that can is non-Euclidean and it has a lot of twists and turns and weird shit going on in it because it is the Federal Bureau of Control, and it's basically like full of uh, you know SCPs. Uh, it's full of, uh, paranormal objects and weird shit. Hell yeah. And it's great. I love that shit. Um, I love the massive amount of files you can read in that game. There's so many files, so many audio things, diaries, so many video diaries. Um, there's so many that it's kind of depressing that... There's some of the best writing in the game can be just casually missed because you didn't find a certain collectible. Uh, I know as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to look up and see if there was any videos I missed uh, because these weird puppet show ones. uh, I know I missed a couple and I'm sure I need to see. Need to see what the fuck happened in those that I missed. Uh, But you don't have to get all the collectibles for the plat just have to get a bunch and it's like not even half. So that's kind of refreshing actually. But, uh, I think the power creep in this game is like my favorite part about it because you are constantly getting new abilities and it's never too many at once. It always feels like you get a new power at the right time. And when you stop getting new powers, it feels like it's at a point in the game where you're like, okay, This is the full breath of shit I can do. This is great. But uh, the story kind of ends rather abruptly with a lot of loose end. And it, it feels more like a shrug than a conclusion to anything. Uh, it kind of leans more into the mystery element of this shit, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of got reminded of uh, what I know about what happens in Alan Wake, uh, which is canon with this. Uh, there's not really an ending. It's just kind of like, okay, huh, 
Yep, <laughs> Maybe Remedy just has this problem. Uh, but there's going to probably follow up on Alan Wake pretty soon here with the second DLC. And, 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 you know, maybe in the DLC they fix this problem and give a little bit more of a collusion to this story. But I kind of doubt it. Um, and another complaint I have is... <sighs> there is no selectable difficulty. And this kind of leads to the game feeling sporadic in terms of its difficulty. Sometimes enemies are a pushover, uh, like the ending of the game was surprisingly extremely easy. Uh, but then sometimes the challenge feels way too great to the point where like these bosses, these side bosses are the hardest part of the game. Uh, one boss in particular frustrated me to no end, and I still never really beat it because the boss glitched and didn't attack me one time so i got a free win oh, i didn't yeah. even actually beat it uh but fuck you i don't care right thanks for the plat sir like but like yeah there's a couple bosses that are just more frustrating than it feels they should be um now granted a lot of that can come down to play style between person to person or the uh weapons they choose to use i personally like to use pistol and shotgun but i'm not very good at the sniper i'm not very good at the machine gun and i didn't really like the grenade launchery kind of weapon uh so maybe that limited me a little bit and you know you can get little ability mods and you can get really good ones or really bad ones you have to be kind of like selective and choose your play style in this game uh there isn't a right or wrong answer in most scenarios Right. But just to me, that amount of freedom um, kind of put me in a corner at times. And I kind of just like didn't know what to do necessarily. And it felt like nothing was working at certain times. And I hate being like that in a game when it, especially because it feels like it's a, it's not necessarily what they intended sometimes because it's like, yeah, like, like I said, the end of the game was incredibly easy. <laughs> so like, okay. Um, it was more like solving a puzzle and then just shooting a bunch of easy bad guys yeah, and a big last boss fight. Um, I would also say the checkpoint system doesn't help anything either the checkpoint system is pretty old school and bad uh so after losing to a boss you want to try again immediately right yeah you want to just immediately just go fight the boss again because the more you die the more you learn and the more you can get the hang of it right but control doesn't just spawn you at the most recent room that you were in it spawns you at your last uh, control point. These are kind of like checkpoints throughout the map that you can warp to and from. <sighs> Sometimes you'll have to trek through several rooms to get back to where you were to fight the boss again, and you'll have to clear out enemies that spawn in in previous areas that you already killed enemies in before trying that boss again. And I think that's inexcusable. And yeah. not good game design. <laughs> I really I don't. 
that fucking boss that was giving me so much trouble, I had to fucking descend down a fucking hole and shoot like 20 mold guys before trying it again. And then I would die quickly because by now it's been 10 minutes since I had last fucking got in the boss mode, you know, <laughs> and I have forgotten what to do. <laughs> uh, you know, you need to like have a chance to actually learn a boss's patterns and that doesn't help you go into that boss no, we already knowing anything talking about it but like just in comparison to a game that came out less than a year later final fantasy 7 remake um, mm-hmm. when you die at a boss encounter you literally hit a button and it puts you right before that encounter yeah i think control needed that like yeah. there should have been an option instead of just spawning you that says would you like to try that boss again right it's like yeah your options are like uh, return right before battle or load your last save. I feel like that would have been nice. That should be your two options when you're playing a game, especially encounter-based games, because the like, mm-hmm. control is really encounter-based. Like you enter a room and there's an encounter, and you do the encounter, and then you do your exploring. Right? That's just kind of like the yes. game flow of control. So, like, I think it's important to like have something that lets you repeat encounters. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, um, it's. It got kind of frustrating for me this morning when I got the plat up. The plat's pretty easy. You don't have to get all the collectibles. You don't have to find every hidden area. It's pretty chill. But the one thing that you kind of have to look out for, and I would recommend you do, is this thing called countermeasures. And this is little, like, uh, side objectives that you accept that give you rewards and it'll be something like kill 20 of this type of enemy or kill 30 enemies in this area. And the game doesn't communicate to you well enough that accepting these, uh, like you don't have to stick with the ones that are available. Cause there could be some that are like extremely Unlikely, like there's enemies that are rare and you might not find them in this sector that has like barely any enemy spawns. Right. And you might not be like a fan of using a certain weapon. Like if you, you know, if it says like kill 10 enemies with a sniper, you might be like, well, I don't really want to do that. You could accept them and then decline them and then new ones, new ones will load up. But the game doesn't communicate this to you at any point. So it feels like, oh, no, I have to do these ones that are here. You don't just keep going through until you find one that fits you and then do it and then continuously do them at every step in the game. Don't leave them alone because when you get to the end of the game, the amount of enemy spawns uh, is, is very much decreased. Enemies will spawn in at random intervals, but when you're progressing through the game, there are fixed spawn locations uh, because it's like the first time you're going to an area. So, yeah, there there was a lot of times where I had to, like, you know, go to an area. Is there any enemies spawning? No. Okay, let me try this other area. No. Okay, let me go back to the first one. Hey, enemies spawned. Oh, it's not the enemies I need. That's stupid and frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> and, like... Uh, thankfully you don't have to do a shitload of them. You got to do 30. And like, by the time I was done with the game, even without knowing what I just said earlier, 
I had done like 20, so it was just a little bit of annoyance, but I feel like it could have been utilized way better. Maybe they should just be passive instead of like you have to accept this. Right. It should just be like, you know, kill this many of this type of enemy, and then like when you get it, you get it, and then it'll upgrade to like kill this much more, and like if that would be way better. <laughs> That's how most games do that shit. Just like kind of like a list of like, you know, stuff you can do to get upgrades. But as far as the world building and the files and uh, I, I think the combat in general, that game's pretty solid. It's like an eight out of ten. It's pretty good. I recommend it. I recommend it on not PS4, though, because it chugs ass. I'm wondering how it's going <laughs> to run on my PC. Like, I'm thinking about getting it on PC. I wonder if it's going to run pretty good on my PC. Well, there's a lot of physics going around because you could fuck up. The, like, the environments, the environments are pretty, like, destructible. And there's a lot of flying debris and shit. And, like, you could pick up items with your, like, telekinesis and shit and throw them at people. So there's a lot of movable parts in these areas and that leads the ps4 to like go like ah <laughs> at, at a lot of points it's an old uh, i've had the point. game crash on me several times and uh it's really slow going into the menus uh, extremely slow going into the menu that's even a problem it feels like it lags hard doing that yeah apparently that's even a problem on ps4 pro like it just, it just can't keep up yeah and then this could only be an issue for this game as bad as it is, uh, I mean, like, I, I still was able to get through it. But, there, like, thankfully, it still saves everything you do, regardless of the checkpoint system being bad. Like, there was times where, like, I got a video, and then it crashed and played the audio of the video, and I couldn't exit, like, the screen oh my God. of the video. So I had to turn off the game and that's try again. Yeah, um, awesome. And that's rough, but, like... I still got the video when I came back to the game and I was like, good. Okay, cool. <laughs> so yeah. All right. Game. Decent game. It, it's like, it's kind of like an assassin's creed one where it's like, this is a great idea. Yeah. Make a second one that is better now. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's a lot of potential here that could be expanded on and done way better a second time. I hope they do it. Honestly. Yeah. I hope so, too. Now, I also played L.A. Noir. I will talk about that in the next episode. I think I have more to say about that one, even though that is an older game, and I have played it multiple times. But I think... I don't know. I'll just save it for next week. I'll be, I'll be talking about a PC game on mm -hmm. the next upcoming episode because uh, I'll be spending the next few days um, just reinstalling all my games. <laughs> Um, after I finished uh, all of the side encounters in Final Fantasy VII Remake, I uh, put a new hard drive in my PS4. Dang. It is a two terabyte hard drive. Oh, I am not, nice. I am never going to run into space problems again. You know, for the rest of this year until the new console comes out, then it has an SSD and I can't use this hard drive. <laughs> but I was like, games have gotten so big on the PS4 mm -hmm. that I was at a point where the only games I had on my console were like just, just yesterday I only had three games on my console. I had call of duty, modern warfare, 
Final Fantasy VII Remake and Tyco. <laughs> the was, three food groups. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's like, all yeah. that could fit. That's it. Yeah. Call of Duty in particular is an incredibly huge space. Like, oh my god, why is it that it's, big? It's 120 gigs. It's like base. It's it's bigger mm. than Red Dead Redemption 2. I have a lot of games saved on my console, but I genuinely play like older, smaller games usually. Yeah. And and when I get a newer, bigger game, I probably have to delete like several things to fit it. Uh, like I just got Tekken Seven, and that's that's like a fifty gig game if you get all the updates and shit. So like, yeah, it looks like for at least the rest of this generation, like these bigger PS4 games are going to be like a hundred gigs a piece. A hundred gig is turning into the new norm, and it's kind of crazy. Just like how big, like how big these texture files are now, and everything, everything's mm-hmm. so like. Because the way video games have advanced now, it's not just like it was before where, like, you're, you're taking these big leaps. All of the leaps they're taking in these next generation, this 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 generation and the next one, are all, like, just, like, purely graphical-based and, like, performance-based. And when you're ha- having all of these high-quality textures and voice lines and cutscenes and all this shit, it takes up a lot of space. Mm-hmm. The more higher the higher the definition something is, the more detailed something is, the more the bigger the file is. Yeah. So these sizes aren't going to go down anytime soon. And on these new consoles, these hard drives need to be at least a terabyte. At the fucking least, they need to be more than that, even because you know that like we're at the tail end of this generation. Games are 100 gigs, so the beginning of the generation. Over the next generation will be 100 gigs, but by the end of it, it's going to be double that. Yep, you know. As it. things get bigger and bigger, so the, you need to maybe want? just make it as big as possible. The the biggest to like, save time. The biggest PS4 games at launch were like 30, 40 gigs, and now mm-hmm. they're like you now that's seven years later, they're 100. Seven more years from now, they yeah, they are probably going to be closer to 200. It's crazy to think. Yeah, and I'm gonna need to do the same thing. Except I'm not gonna wait as long this time. As soon as like these these hard drives for the PS4 have been cheap for a while, I got my hard drive for I got my two terabyte hard drive for sixty dollars, like the price of a game. Uh, do you have to open it up to install it? Yeah, it's really easy. You you pull out you pull off the 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 the, the smaller side of the top mm-hmm. of the PS4. You take one screw out and you pull out the. Uh, it's like a little like uh, screwed in like container thing for the hard drive, like a tray. Yes. You uh, there's four screws. You unscrew the four screws off the hard drive. You put the new one in. Put those four screws in. Slide the slide the tray back in, and then tighten the, tighten one screw, and then you're you're in. I may consider doing this because I'm sick of deleting games that I know I want to revisit. You can get a, <laughs> you know one terabyte hard drive for like forty dollars. Considering it. Considering it. And I will help you reinstall. What I would recommend <laughs> now, I could take it would be a little bit more money, but it would save you a lot of hassle. Uh-huh. Um, I have this this 500 gig hard drive just sitting here now, and, and with the right tools, we could turn this into an external storage device. And oh, yeah, yeah. And then that turns just to a USB external storage, and then. All we got to do is plug this bitch into your PlayStation, back up your data, install the new hard drive, 
Good play. <sighs> I, I think that would work, but uh, go we can see. Mm-hmm. Uh, having to reinstall literally everything. Right. Reinstall 100 gigs. Ugh. Yeah, I, I uploaded... Not with my internet, sir. <laughs> I forgot that you got, like, literally 100 gigs of cloud storage with PS Plus, which, by the way, is pretty sick, actually. That was pretty cool. Um, yeah. So I uploaded all of my save data, barely dented it, and now, like, when I get everything reinstalled on here, I could download that save data back, and I'm good to go on my save data. Nice. I just gotta reinstall all of my games. Which, you know, there are 100 fucking gigs now, so it's going to take multiple days to get everything back on this console. Well, <laughs> gotta do it. Yep, gotta do it, though. But now, but once I do this now, I won't have to do it ever again, and I won't have to worry about storage anymore until probably the end of the console generation, which I'm going to pick up a PS5 probably day one. Well, you go ahead and do that. I'm going to continue to PS4. You got a lot to catch up on. Get a lot of Yakuza games to play again, Hart. <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, this is the perfect time to play them. I'm almost playing a Yakuza game right now. I'm playing Sleeping Dogs. Sleeping Dogs. Uh, that's a great fucking game. I just started it today. Yeah, I'll it talk is. about it in a couple weeks. Like, oh my god. So far, it's like the best GTA clone I've ever played. It's still a GTA GTA clone, but I think it's the best one ever made. Absolutely, 100% (laughs) it is. I love that game. And it has Yakuza elements, a little bit of a combat system. Oh, yeah. Mm. But anyway, fuck video games. Let's talk about a shitty 80s horror movie. It's not shitty. It's not shitty. It's okay. It's overrated, though. Ooh, tell him. It's overrated, though. <sighs> All right. Get ready to have deja vu. I already have. Three, two, one. Friday the 13th is what we spun on the wheel, and that's what we're going to watch. Uh, this is a humongous franchise with 12 fucking entries. Ugh. Please, God, help us. <laughs> um now, but it all started with the first one, a tiny little independent horror film released in 1980. Uh, Sean S. Cunningham, who um, in his past collaborated with Wes Craven in 1972 on the horror exploitation film The Last House on the Left as a producer. Now, this uh, Cunningham was looking to produce and direct a horror film of his own, inspired by the recent success of John Carpenter's Halloween two years prior in 1978. Now, he wanted to make a shocking film that would, quote, make you jump out of your seat. He hires Victor Miller to write the script. Uh, Miller would ironically later in his career uh, write soap operas uh, like Guiding Light (laughs) and All My Children. Oh, no. But his most famous credit would remain the creator of Jason Voorhees and the writer behind one of the most famous slasher films of all time. Uh, Now, despite this, uh, Miller only wrote the first one and departed the franchise after this initial film uh, and has stated that he has never seen any of the sequels and he dislikes the fact that Jason is now the main killer. Uh, Quote, Jason was dead from the very beginning. He was a victim, not a villain. Uh, Miller liked writing. A mother turned serial killer, though. Yeah, we're going to spoil this uh, movie from 1980. Sorry, guys. Oh, no. 
<laughs> Quote, I took motherhood and turned it on its head, and I think that was great fun. Mrs. Voorhees was the mother I had always wanted. A mother who would have killed for her kids, which is something a sane person would yeah, say. I don't. Think <laughs> that's not, bro. That's not the takeaway, bro. Now we won't really uh, get into this now, but um, Cunningham and Miller be feuding these days over the rights to Friday the Thirteenth, and that's probably why there hasn't been an entry in this franchise since 2009's reboot, uh, remake, or whatever you want to call it. And that's why the the video game kind of like went kaput, uh, despite multiple other planned DLC packs. Um, and that's why uh, another movie has kind of been in development hell for a long time. But uh, we'll get to that as we go through this franchise. We got a lot of other crap to talk about. <laughs> um, so the film's tentatively titled "A Long Night at Camp Blood," but Cunningham. Just, you know, because he comes up with this title and likes the sound of it, decides to title it Friday the 13th, taking out an advertisement in Variety magazine uh, showcasing the title. Uh, This is before filming. This is before the script was written. This was before they knew whether they could use the title, legally speaking. Bold move, uh, brother. But fuck it. Put it in the ad so people know it's coming. Uh, the ad was just the big logo at the beginning of the movie, the big block letters, Friday the 13th, crashing through the window, uh, which I guess is like a like a bad luck kind of thing. It's called Friday the 13th, which is supposed to be about like bad luck and curses, but it's not really about that. <laughs> it's about being mad that teenagers fuck, so you kill them. It's kind of a different thing entirely. Uh, but the advertisement he takes out in Variety says that Friday the 13th would be the most terrifying film ever made. In all caps. Sure thing, buddy. <laughs> I don't believe you. So, Cunningham hires a New York firm to cast actors for the film. Uh, Cunningham admitted he wasn't necessarily looking for great actors, <laughs> but ones that were likable and would read the lines decently enough while working cheap. And uh, so he got a bunch of them, uh, mostly hired off of soap operas. uh, As you do. So let's go through our cast here of characters whose mostly names I forget. Yeah. Yay. First and foremost, we got Adrienne King as Alice, your main character, your final girl. Not apparent that she's the main character at the beginning of the movie, but becomes pretty obviously the main character later because she's the last one left. Uh, The role of Alice had an open advertised audition, mainly as publicity for the film. Uh, King also appears in the sequel, Friday the 13th Part 2. Now, there's a a bit of an unfortunate history with her. Um, A man began stalking Adrienne King after the success of the Friday the 13th films, Uh, He found places she frequented and took her picture with a Polaroid camera and he slipped the photos under her door. And then this situation escalated to the point where he broke into her apartment and defaced her art. And then it escalated further with eventually the man confronting her inside her own apartment at gunpoint. This man was arrested, but this incident uh, 
understandably traumatized King for years and caused her to withdraw from the public eye. Uh, she eventually returned to film roles in the form of voiceover work, as well as working as a uh, winemaker. She sells a Friday the 13th brand wine. <laughs> but, uh, geez, that really uh, stuck out to me in everybody's stories here. Yeah. Uh, fuck, uh, fuck that, dude. Yeah. She's not your waifu. Please don't be the major mega incel that this dude sounds like. Don't do that. Bad move. <laughs> uh, who else we got in this movie? We got a Harry Crosby the third, the son of Bing Crosby as uh, Bill, and he is uh, not really in anything else of note that I can see. A lot of these people weren't. Uh, this was kind of just like their only movie that is a famous one that they were in, uh, with one notable exception that we'll get to. We got Janine Taylor. As Marcy, uh, she has kind of a funny quote uh, on the experience of filming this movie. Quote, I didn't even really think of this movie as a horror film. To me, this was a small, independent film about carefree teenagers who are having a rip-roaring time at a summer camp where they happen to be working as counselors. Then they just happen to get killed. (laughs) Who else we got here? Lori Bartram as Brenda, Mark Nelson as Ned. Uh, Ned is the uh, the prankster character, which uh, I guess that causes kind of a trend in slasher films of some like you know some asshole who pulls pranks early in the movie and it is usually a victim. Um, I guess you know maybe it's like within our best interests to see the prankster die. Because it's self-satisfying, perhaps. I don't really know. But um, it seems to happen in like every slasher movie. <laughs> At least in this franchise. Yeah. Uh, Robbie Morgan as Annie. Pre- Peter Brower as uh, Steve Christie. Uh, we got Rex Everhart as Enos, the truck driver. Uh, he was a pretty prolific theater actor. Uh, he voiced Bell's father in Beauty and the Beast. Uh, we got Walt Gorney as Crazy Ralph, who was like a red herring character. Uh, he would reprise his role in Friday the 13th Part 2, one of the only other characters to do so, which makes sense because everybody else fucking bites it. Uh, and uh, he would also voice uh, narration in Friday the 13th Part 7. And we got Kevin Bacon who is the only person out of all these people that uh, goes on to have a big, big, successful Hollywood man career Mm -hmm. as a household name. He is the big Hollywood man. He plays Jack in this film, and he's he's really uh, not in it for a lot. And I forgot he was in it (laughs) until uh, I started watching it. And I was like, that's fucking... That's fucking a young bacon. What the fuck? (laughs) Um, Young bacon. (laughs) Sounds like a sounds like a SoundCloud rapper. It absolutely does. Y U N G Bacon. So yeah, like I don't know. He stands out in this movie like a sore thumb because everybody else looks like a kind of just like a normal fuck. Uh but then there's Kevin Bacon and he's like super recognizable and he just it's weird. He stands out so hard. I don't know why. <laughs> like like 
it's just a coincidence that he became famous after. It's not like he had a big, successful, great performance in this movie that led to his career. I don't know how significant Friday the 13th is in his entire career at all. Probably not very, because uh, I didn't even know he was in it. <laughs> so, like, you know. Uh, but maybe most importantly, as far as actors in this movie go, we have Betsy Palmer as Pamela Voorhees, the killer. Uh, Palmer was at the time the most well-known actor working on this film. Uh, and that's because Kevin Bacon wasn't famous yet. Yep. <laughs> uh, so she was paid $1,000 a day for 10 days on set. And she really only took this role because she wanted to buy a new car that cost, uh, you guessed it, $10,000. Uh, now, um, Palmer was quoted as saying, quote, what a piece of shit. Nobody is ever going to see this thing. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but then after that, she kind of embraced the popularity she received uh, because of this film. And, and she's now most recognizable for this role out of everything she's been in. Uh, she appears in Friday the 13th Part 2 briefly as well. And uh, much further down the line, she, she accepted an offer to appear in Freddy vs. Jason, but then she turned it down when they low-balled the fuck out of her as far as salary goes. Uh, so she was like, fuck you. No. <laughs> uh, which, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, and also, we have a brief cameo from Jason himself, and he's played by Ari Lehman here. Now, Ari was 15 years old at the time, and the only question Cunningham asked him before casting him was, can you swim? I guess that's all he really needed to do. <laughs> He's wearing a bunch of makeup. It's not like you can tell, uh, you know, it's not like he needed to act right. <laughs> or anything. So, so he, despite, like, you know, Jason only being in the movie for approximately uh, three seconds, uh, Lehman has fully embraced his status as the first actor to play this legendary character. Uh, he regularly appears at comic cons and horror cons. And, and he, uh, he, uh, he made a uh, punk heavy metal band called first Jason. <laughs> um, he, he's really trying to, uh, milk that for all it's worth. <laughs> like, which I guess fair, you know, if I was the first Jason Voorhees, I would try to make as much money out of it as I possibly could. Absolutely. You milked the fuck out of that, bro. Shit. <laughs> yeah, dude. Good for him. <laughs> like he, he was on the he was on screen, not even his face, for three seconds. <laughs> long enough. Pack it in, mail long, it in. We're done here. Long enough long enough to make an impression, I would say. It's probably like the best part of the fucking movie until they ruin it, which we'll get to. <sighs> So the effects of this movie are a standout, I would say. Uh, Tom Savini did the effects. Uh, he got hired after he worked on Dawn of the Dead in 78. Uh, so he designs all the gory death effects, but he also ended up being a, a pretty integral creative voice for this movie and for the series as a whole. Uh, he suggested the film's stinger ending with Jason coming out of the uh, water. Uh, quote, the whole reason for the cliffhanger at the end was I had just seen Carrie. So we thought we need a chair jumper like that. And I said, let's bring in Jason. 
Huh. So uh, the filming took place at Camp Nobi Bosco in Hardwick, New Jersey. And uh, that camp is still open and operating today. Well, not right now, but um, usually. No, no, no camp is operating right now. Jason can't kill anybody, sad. Unless you're in Florida where, like, I don't know, probably a third of the population is going to die within the next two months. Right. Just go there. They're going to die anyway, Jason. Right, yeah. That's Perfect fine. spot to go. You're going to get stabbed by Jason or you're going to get COVID. Yeah. <laughs> and then I guess the, the last thing uh, we got here is uh, before we get into the plot and such, uh, the score, which I think is – possibly the best fucking thing about this movie. I like it a lot. Harry Manfredini composed the score, and he would continue scoring the series for all but three of its films. I think it's like the last three, I'm pretty sure. Um, he would come up, he, so he came up with that chanted noise. And yep. uh, I see it's it's often misquoted as chi 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 ha 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 and uh, he hates that because he's like, it's not fucking cha-cha-cha. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's ki-ki-ki, ma-ma-ma, which is based on, there's the scene where Pamela says, killer mommy, and like the voice that represents Jason to her. Right, yeah. So the key is supposed to be killed, but ma is supposed to be mom. Um these sound effects of the chants were done by Manfredini himself, harshly speaking the words. Then he ran them through an echo reverberation machine. Uh, the score for this movie is definitely like one of the series' biggest strengths. It's super recognizable. I think the only thing that rivals it as far as horror scores go is probably Halloween. Yeah, that's still the best horror movie score, like hands down. At the very least, it's like everyone knows what that sounds like. But yeah. this also stands out to me. Um, like, I guess, like, if you want to go, like, further back, maybe something like Psycho stands out really well. It's yeah. score. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yes. But, uh, it's like, those are, like, the three that come to mind. Maybe Jaws, if you want to count Jaws, which I half count Jaws as a horror film. Uh, I don't know, yeah, I but get like it. these, these are like huge franchises. So like they stand out more to me as like the tent poles of yep. horror scores. Mm-hmm. So I suppose we should get into the, the let's say plot. Yeah, sure. Not much of, it. of Friday the 13th. <laughs> so we get a little kickoff into the, mm-hmm. what is the 1950s? Um, unlike last time, I do not have the movie open in front of me. Oh, right. Damn. We'll just look up what you said. <laughs> I'm just going to play it back. <laughs> yeah, no, just it, play it's, back it is in the 50s. Uh, you go back to the 1950s okay. here. We start with the flashback of a bunch of... 30 a bunch years of our, ago in yeah. the 50s because we are currently in 1980, the modern day. Right. <laughs> Very modern. Yes. So you got all you got sure. all these like super fucking white kids, the whitest, so the whitest kids sitting around singing some songs with their guitar, Kum, kumbaya and such. Yeah, like like really fucking white, and <laughs> and then two two of the whiteies, <laughs> yeah, uh, go off, and it's uh, it, it's fuck time. 
and they go up to it. They go up to a little barney barn, top floor, mm-hmm. and they fuck barn fuck. yuck. Yeah, they do a little barn yucking. Mm-hmm. And while they're while they're doing the yuck yuck, you get a first person shot. Somebody yeah, this is pretty prevalent throughout the whole movie. Really, yeah, a lot of first person POV shots. shots of ya killer. Yep, which this this movie did not create, but it certainly helped popularize. Absolutely. And uh, our POV killer walks up the steps to Barney Barn when they're or they're getting it hot. <laughs> it fucking kills the shit out of him. Stabs yeah. the one, stabs the guy. Blood comes out of his mouth. The girl's mm-hmm. screaming, and he goes. Then the killer goes up to stab her. Then you get the big fucking logo. Boom! It's Friday the Thirteenth, baby. Shatter some glass. It looks like shit. It's really funny. <laughs> I love the logo for this movie. It's so loud. It is. It is. And then you get that score for the opening credits, and that part's good, though. I love how I think I said this last time you recorded this. I love how like erratic the score is. It's like really all over the place, but it helps capture like the way you're supposed to be feeling with this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did really good job. And now up, jump forward thirty years. We're in now. Quote present day, <laughs> nineteen eighty. Yeah, everything's fine. Vote for Reagan. So now we've got a uh, <laughs> got a girl who's hatch hiking. She's a little doggy. Yes. She pets doggy. Good doggy. Walks into a uh, what looks like a diner. And yeah, and she's like, "Hey, somebody, give me a ride to Camp Crystal Lake." And they all look at her like she just shit her pants. And they all fucking record scratch. And they're like, "Yeah, excuse me, ma'am." Mm-hmm. And one guy volunteers to do it. Like, I'll take you halfway. Our friendly truck driver. Mm-hmm. As they're walking, except out. he's except he's not so friendly. No, he's really weird. Um, you know, so a lot of it's probably just like the time. This movie was made during, but there's a lot of like weird casual sexism in this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of them is this fucking creepy like truck driver man is all like, yeah, you're gorgeous. Like these are teenagers, supposedly. I mean, they don't supposedly. look like teenagers, no. but um, he like fucking like pushes her up into the truck and like just like takes the opportunity to like put his whole ass hand on her ass. Uh, all right, <laughs> all right, dude. Fuck you, creepo. Yeah. Speaking of creepos, as they're walking out, creepo guy walks up. Crazy Ralph. This is our this is our resident crazy man, Crazy Ralph. Mm-hmm. Boom, whips on up. Is like, don't go kick Crystal Lake. That's just spooky. <laughs> First name crazy. Last name Ralph. Ralph. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, um, so I guess he was supposed to be like a red herring. Like, you're supposed to be like, whoa, is he the killer? But, um, like... At no point. I, they didn't They didn't really succeed at that. No, he no never point. feels like anything except, like, the town crazy drunk man. Right, he's um, weird. Even Cunningham has said that he feels like they failed when it came to making him a red herring. Like, he didn't really feel like he succeeded on that front. Definitely I agree. Not. They did not. Yeah, absolutely. But it's still funny and still stands out. It's something. It's another, like, trope that this movie helped popularize. Uh, the crazy town uh, local who 
is like, don't you go there. That place is cursed. And you just dismiss him as crazy. But turns out he was correct. Yep. I guess. Sure. <laughs> He's kind of correct just via happenstance in this film. Yeah. Uh, like his reason for them not going is because it is cursed. The real reason not to go is they are about to get murdered by a crazy woman. But um, that's not necessarily a curse. No. That's just someone that needs to go to jail or get murdered. Uh, but, you know, we're not really into the realm of supernatural crazy shit yet with this franchise. Not yet. It's coming, though. Real soon. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. So we get this entire truck ride. About back at all three minutes of this truck driver just berating this girl and calling her a dumb fuck. <laughs> For going to Camp Crystal Lake. <laughs> He's like, whatever, old Sorta. man. Like, literally, it gets to the point where he just starts calling her stupid. He does, yeah. It's like, what a dick. He's a dickhead. And he drops her off. He also, like, doesn't even take her all the way there. Halfway. Yeah. And then we get we cut over to our next group of kids, all rowdy driving around in a big old red truck. <laughs> Kevin Bacon and a couple people who aren't Kevin Bacon. Correct. Yeah. One, one guy, not <laughs> Kevin Bacon. One girl, not Kevin Bacon. Well, I know the other guy is Ned. The girl's names, don't know. That other guy's name, don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, Kevin just, Bacon, Ned. Victim A and Victim B. Right. <laughs> they might as well be called. So they whip on up and you got a uh, – you see uh, two people already there working on the camp. We got our camp mm-hmm. owner. And then, Steve. Yep, we got a good old Steve, and he looks like a Steve. He he certainly looks like a Steve. Um, like the most, he's like the 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 my heyday was in the seventies. Steve. Yes. He's got the yeah. stash. He's got those glasses. That's right, those ones. <laughs> you know the ones. Yeah, those. And, so uh, he's uh, you know, he's trying to get this camp operating yeah and uh he's you know slave driving these kids to uh do this and do that apparently uh, they're one of them yeah, apparently uh but, um they never get that money oh, oh really uh, <laughs> uh so alice is there and she's kind of just like uh seems annoyed uh and maybe not very committed to you know doing this because yeah. it seems like a lot you know, she's drawing in you know, this Steve character uh, in another bout of casual sexism that this movie employs. Uh-huh. Uh, goes over to her and, like, hits on her. <laughs> <It's really laughs> Even though it's supposed to be implied that these are teenagers and he is, like, the quote-unquote adult. Um, but I don't know. Honestly, he could have been as old as Kevin Bacon at the time. I have no clue. <laughs> like, it's it's really, it's strange, but he, he like, puts his hand on her, her fucking head and her Brushes, face like, and is yeah, like, like rubs you're beautiful, you know that? Ugh. And, like, then just, like, leaves. Um, so Steve, Steve leaves all these kids here. And, and he, uh, he goes and fucks off. He to go to town to get "quote unquote" supplies. Yeah, he's just eating at a diner and hitting on the the fucking old lady that's there. <laughs> and so now yeah. the kids uh, decide to take a little breaky break. They go swimming, 
And this mm-hmm. this scene's dumb. They don't re- doesn't really show you much besides the fact that Ned's a fucking dick because he pretends to drown. Yeah, Ned's epic prank, which is to pretend to die. Epic prank, bro. <laughs> and, uh, what a great prank. But it sure got a girl to kiss him because there, she's trying to give him mouth to mouth. And he's like, hell yeah. Oh. And she's like, Ned, you scamp. <laughs> Ned, you just pretended to die so you could fucking sexually assault me, you cad. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like it's played really off bad. all innocent when like I would be. God, what the fuck? <laughs> so now we go back to our uh, girl from the beginning of the movie. She yeah. is, is hitchhiking. Still hitchhiking her way there. Mm-hmm. And a big old jeepy jeep drops by, pick her up. We don't see who's in it. You get a lot of POV shots during this. Which This means like, that she's going to die. Basically, yeah. And so, search driver really fast. The, the girl just keeps talking, even though they get no reply out of the driver here. Mm-hmm. And then, very quickly passes the entrance to Camp Crystal Lake. She starts freaking out. Jumps out of the car and injures her leg. She realizes she's in danger and starts running into the woods, limping, falling over a bunch because she fucked up her leg. Yes. And the killer walks up, slits her throat. She dead. Oh, she dead. So, uh, death toll one. Yep. Or I guess you could count the 50s deaths, but, like, fuck that shit. Yep. <laughs> Let me come back, come back to the kids doing some work. Ned's by a house. He hears mm-hmm. something. He walks into it, and we don't see him again for a very long time. Um, that happens a little later. Oh, we get the missed. cop. Oh, I forgot about the cop and Ned being really racist. Yeah, Ned's being super racist. He's got an Indian headdress on, and he's doing the fucking like you know, uh, you know, slapping your hand across your mouth to go. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, he's just being an overall jackass, and then a cop shows up, and he's like. Hey, the fuck's going on here? <laughs> and they're like, uh, oh, we're camp counselors. And he's like, I'm cop, so I'm gonna be shit. <laughs> Stay off the weed. <laughs> like, I don't know. I think all things considered, he treats them pretty well and then just leaves. Right. But they, like, make fun of him the whole time and act like they're 12. Oh, they're dickheads to this cop. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that, you know, cops deserve your respect 100% of the time. Uh, truth be told, they do not. Mm-mm. But <laughs> this is probably not the best way to treat the police, considering they they have the authority to arrest you and such so maybe don't just be like hey that's a cool bike dad you mind if i touch your bike and you know play around with it and stuff you fucking like, cop like, <laughs> like stop i'm a cop anyway the cop just fucking leaves just and off. we never see him again and i don't know why i think they just wanted a moment to be like there is a cop but then he doesn't help them later like i don't know and then before uh, that thing when that happens, we also have the fucking crazy dude just shows up. Yeah, in their the, fucking the, the, the pantry. Reason, yeah, the reason the cops there is because he's looking for uh, crazy Ralph. He's looking for crazy Ralph, and yeah. and then like right after the cop leaves, uh, girl goes to open up the pantry, 
He just comes out. He just fucking walks out. And it's like, you're all doomed. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? He's lucky he didn't get shot. Right. (laughs) Fucking dude just going in people's pantries, hanging out. (laughs) And then he just leaves. Yep, then you just leave. You don't see him again. That's it. He doesn't do anything to no. make these kids leave. He just tells them, you're going to die, and then, then leaves. leaves. And That's we it. never see Crazy Ralph again. <laughs> and now. So, yeah, now everybody's just chilling, doing fuck knows who what. Ned goes in a house. We don't see Ned again, alive at least. Yep. And then it starts, like, oh, rain's starting to come down. We got Kevin Bacon and his boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know what? Rain means let's go fuck, yep. <laughs> apparently. And they go in. They do go find Kevin, the same one Ned walked into. And they decide to have a big cabin yuck. It's time. The sex scene's fucking terrible. (laughs) Dude, it's it is overblown. It is long. It is it's uncomfortable. It's really awkward. It's an awkward watch. Um, uh, from the awkward location Mm -hmm. uh, underneath a dead body to uh, having to see. A, a brief close-up of Kevin Bacon's ass being groped. Uh, everything about this was weird, and I wish I didn't have to see it. Mm-hmm. But here it is. <laughs> yep, and after Gotta have uh... TNA in our film. Uh, this will also be standard <laughs> for yep. uh, this series going forward. And then uh, after Kevin shoots his bacon into the searing pan... <laughs> <laughs> That's he, incredible. Holy shit. He gets on up. I forget sprinkles, why. He, he's, he sprinkles on some bacon bits. <laughs> I forget why he leaves at this point. He doesn't leave. She leaves. She leaves to That's go right. take That's a right. piss, and That's he right. uh, gets killed. Possibly the best kill in the movie, but that's debatable because I also like the decapitation. Yeah, but the arrow, <laughs> she's underneath the bed. Mm-hmm. Arrow up through the bottom of the bed, penetrates his throat. It's a cool moment because it, it's genuinely surprising where the source of the kill comes from. Not that yeah. he dies. That much is obvious, but the source of the kill is cool and stands out to me. It's it's a standout moment, I guess. Absolutely. So he dead. Yep. That's like three of them dead. Yep. And I now believe she's at the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And then she does. Yep. She, <laughs> yeah. She's like, she hears something like behind some curtains, behind like the shower curtains there in the bathroom. So she starts flipping through each one and then she gets an ax to the head. Yeah, it's That's, pretty grisly looking. Yeah, special effects are good. Mm-hmm. As you'd expect. Yeah, uh, they've held up well, too, surprisingly, for a film from 1980. Right. A bit of good gore effects. Yep, and then we get, uh, after this, we get our three remaining characters in a cabin together. Yeah, so... They're going to play Strip Monopoly, which is a stupid idea. Terrible. 
Um, I like Monopoly as a board game. I know it's Same. divisive. There are people that find it boring as shit. And like sometimes that. Monopoly is boring as shit as much as I like it, just because the game could go on forever. But their solution is that instead of paying rent, you take off an item of clothing. It is strip Monopoly. Um, I was uh, <laughs> we, when we were testing earlier. I read a review from Letterboxd. <laughs> um, that was just like, what the fuck? What do you mean? You pay with your clothes. What if, like, you know, I'm still poor. You didn't pay me the rent. Why is the money still in the game? Is there an equivalency exchange of any sort? Like, can you exchange items of clothing for, like, like in a trade? Like, I'll give you Baltic Avenue for your blouse. <laughs> like, how does the game work? The answer is it wouldn't. They just did this so there was an excuse for the the kids to be aggressively horny, uh, which is standard in the slasher movies. Dumb teens doing dumb sex things. But in this movie, it ends up kind of having a point, which is weird. Uh, because our killer is obsessed with killing people who are, you know, horny being being promiscuous. <laughs> yeah, that's what. Yeah. Or horny. That's a better way to put it. <laughs> but, yeah. He's the fucking horny cops. <laughs> Kill all horny people. Pamela Voorhees, 1980. We need to inject yeah. Pamela Voorhees into Twitter. All of Twitter would be dead. What are you fucking talking about? Well, maybe you can't they just kill all of stop Twitter. Stop being so fucking horny on main, bro. What's wrong with that, man? I don't think there's sometimes, anything wrong with it. Sometimes you gotta be, dude. I I, dude, I'm horny on main when I'm drunk. Like, it's okay. I get it. <laughs> uh, dude, I would be, but I just don't post it. Like, fuck that. I'm, I, got, I got my dignity. I gotta tweet about, you know, important stuff. Like... <laughs> The Gen and Jub show. Hell yeah. <laughs> and, you know, my never ending PlayStation Platinum career. <laughs> the important stuff, the yes. basics. That dude, posting plastic is kind of horny posting, dude. <laughs> that, that's me being horny on me? Yeah, dude. Horny for plats, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, put that in your fucking profile description, dude. I might. That's kind of funny. <laughs> Tell you what I'm about. Um, so, anywho, uh, the rain picks up and is uh, is pretty bad out there. And uh, so, uh, I think the door blows open and blows yeah. all the monopoly money all over the place. And they're like, "Ah, oh, fuck!" And then they're just like, "Well, we'll just pick up this game some other time." One girl's like, so, "I forgot um, to close my window." Yeah, she doesn't so I'm going to go back on. She just grabs no, her she clothes. She just just grabs her clothes and puts on a coat instead of getting dressed and leaving, um which is stupid. <laughs> and it's only be so that she is, you know, sort of uh, scantily clad in the next scene where she goes to the bathroom because she hears a noise and uh then gets fucking killed. <laughs> of course. 
We're down to two. Well, they're still steep, but he's about to die right now. Oh, yeah, right. He leaves, okay, he, he leaves the diner yeah. after uh, being horny on main with, uh, with the, with the uh, waitress, which is weird. I didn't really view that like that, but you do you, fam. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly his interaction with Alice. This one just seemed like he was like, you know, familiar with the diner. Yeah. Um, but yeah. He... He leaves and he uh, driving through the rain, pulls it up to the his car battery dies, mm-hmm. and then he has to get picked up by the cop. Different cop. Yeah, different cop. This one has pretty a sure car instead of a bike. Yeah, he gets dropped off, and he's he's walking up the camp. Oh yeah, because uh, unfortunately another mass murder is happening at the same time, so uh, the cop has to. <laughs> leave Steve halfway there or whatever. And it's just like, well, I'm sorry. I got to take care of this. Steve. (laughs) Got to go take care of another horror film happening at the same time, Steve. So (laughs) like Steve goes ahead and uh, starts walking and he, and he runs into somebody. Somebody he's familiar with because he's like, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing out here? And then he's like, wait, what are you doing? And then dies. Dun dun dun! Another POV kill. Wow! So who could this mysterious person be, who is killing off everybody here? Well, could it be a character that hasn't even fucking been introduced yet? Yup. Because <laughs> that's who it is. So after uh, the generator goes bad, and uh, the guy, our lacerating guy, goes out, you fix it. <sighs> Gets shot by an arrow. Mm-hmm. And now we're down to we're down to Alice. That's it. And she's freaking out because she knows that she's about to get fucked. Uh, so she's like, you know, cra- fucking going crazy, blocking the door and shit. Yep. I and believe the dead body of a uh, dude gets thrown into the fucking place. Yeah, it gets thrown through the window. It's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Uh, I believe this is a thing that they carried over into the video game, even though then that's Jason doing it. Although he could do it in a future film. You know, I'm not entirely certain. I don't remember. Well, well, I'm sure we'll find out. (laughs) Yeah, and then she sees what looks like Steve's car. Somebody's pulling up, so she's like, oh, "I gotta go out and uh, get this help here." It's like, Steve. It's not Steve. Ain't Steve. It's a new character, Pamela Voorhees. And she's like, "Yeah, I'm afraid of Steve's." Uh huh. And then she just calm down, girl. What's going on? And then she like walks into the place and is like, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe someone killed all these people." Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And uh, then she kind of just starts going nutty and spills the beans that uh, she's the killer. Yep, talks about how oh many years ago here, my son, I was a counselor, and my son's living in the Woda. The counselor's supposed to watch her. She was the cook. And the counselor she was the cook. The counselors were supposed to watch her son, but they didn't because they were too busy having the sex. They're yucking. Yeah. And then Jason drowned. Mm-hmm. So now she's out to just 
get revenge on every horny counselor, which is all of them. Yeah. Teenagers. She took a weird lesson from that, and that was that sex is terrible and punishable by death. And I will be the judge, jury, and executioner on that front. Um, so, uh, yeah. yeah so, a, just elongated fight scene starting here. Right. You have Alice just fighting her off. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to note note real quick. So, so Betsy Palmer kind of like went into uh, what she felt was Pamela's backstory, and none of this is in the fucking movie. But I feel like I'm going to approach it sort of as canon because I think it's interesting and I wish it was in the movie, at least bits of it. I feel like this could have used a lot more expansion considering how important Voorhees and her son end up being in this series. So this is her uh, quote about how she formed the character Uh, being an actress who uses the Stanislavacki method. uh, I always try to find details about my character with Pamela. I began with a class ring that I remember reading in the script that she'd worn. Starting with that, I traced Pamela back to my own high school days in the early 1940s. So it's 1944, a very conservative time. And Pamela has a steady boyfriend. They have sex, which is very bad, of course, and Pamela soon gets pregnant with Jason. The father takes off, and when Pamela tells her parents, they disown her because having babies out of wedlock isn't something that good girls do. I think she took Jason and raised him the best she could, but he turned out to be a very strange boy. She took lots of odd jobs, and one of those jobs was as a cook at a summer camp. Then Jason drowns, and her whole world collapses. What were the counselors doing instead of watching Jason? They were having sex, which is the way that she got into trouble from that in the first place. From that point on, Pamela became very psychotic and puritanical in her attitudes as she was determined to kill all of the immoral camp counselors. Yeah, that's that's like a really cool take on it. I like that she like drew all of that just from like the little bit that's in the script. (laughs) Um, I kind of wish it expanded that much. To yeah. be honest, yeah, I, I would have been nice. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> her her approach to it. I think it definitely helps. <laughs> but it's 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 DLC. <laughs> it's right. not in the movie itself. <laughs> um, but oh well. Yeah. So, so yeah. Then we get time our, for the fight. Get our long into fight scene. They're going through like multiple cabins. One point where she hides in a pantry. Mm-hmm. And Pamela comes up and she hits Pamela in the head with a pan. That's fun. <laughs> I do like that. Like this isn't like a Michael Myers scenario where the the killer is way stronger than you, and it's going to be hard to fight back against him. Uh, this is like your aunt. <laughs> so, so like Alice kind of holds her own pretty well against Pamela in this whole little scene here. Uh, and like hits her a lot and like, you know, Pamela keeps coming back, of course, because, you know, she's trying to kill her. She's crazed. She's still dangerous, but it's like sort of realistic in a way. I do like that aspect of it, that your killer here is not some crazy immortal being. Uh, it's just, it's just a crazy person and a mom at that. So like, it's a different kind of villain entirely. Yeah, for sure. 
And uh, uh, so their fight moves them all the way down to the docky docks. Mm-hmm. And she's you got Alice now as an order to fend herself against uh, Pamela's machete. Mm-hmm. Mm, not good. But she manages nah. to, to hit Pamela with the oar. Machete falls out of her hand, and they struggle hand-to-hand for a little bit. Uh, I, I Fucking Pamela slaps the shit out of her. Slaps the fuck out of her. Which, by the way... <laughs> so, during the rehearsals for this fight scene uh, between Pamela and Alice, uh, Betsy Palmer actually fucking slapped the shit out of Adrian King. Uh, and this is because uh, Betsy Palmer started as a theater actress and this is how she did rehearsals in theater. Uh, like she just like, you know, they actually did the physicality of the things. So, um, you know, King who never really did that was fucking shocked and actually cried when Palmer hit her and, uh, had, you know, Palmer had to be told by Sean Cunningham that uh, that's not as, uh, that's not how the movies work. <laughs> you don't actually beat the person. <laughs> like, but, uh, anywho, <laughs> the fight comes to its conclusion here. Yep, with, with Alice getting a hold of the machete. Mm-hmm. Just sprints up to Pamela and takes her damn noggin off. It's pretty dope. It's pretty dope. I like how final that is <laughs> as well. Yep. Pamela ain't coming back. <laughs> so then we cut. It's daytime. Mm-hmm. Cops pull on up. And you've got Alice out in a, out in a little, little, little rowboat just out in the water, kind of hanging half off, playing with the water. She's exhausted. And... He had, like a little bit of happy music playing. Cops. Oh, it's idyllic. Yeah, it's super nice. <laughs> yep. And then out of nowhere, chart up Jason out of the water, pulls her in with and a then- with a loud horror. It, it's it's like the original, like earliest I can think of jump scare. Possibly, because there isn't a whole lot in Halloween. There's maybe no. There's definitely one in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Actually, oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's an early one before it became commonplace in horror. And man, what a great moment! This would have been a the perfect ending, and I would have actually maybe even liked this movie a whole couple of points better if it had the balls to end on this moment. But it doesn't. It doesn't have the balls to do that. Instead, you cut to Alice in the hospital as if it never happened and it was all just a dream. That part of it, at least. All the other shit happened. But I like the Jason part. And, uh, you know, the cops kind of say, like, oh, well, because she's talking about it. Like, what about the boy? And they're like, we didn't find a boy. And then she's like, that means he's still there. And it cuts to like the the lake. And there's like a bit of a bubbling to suggest that like maybe she didn't imagine it. But still, this scene taking place at all means that she at least imagined getting killed by Jason. Uh, and that kind of sucks. 
I wish it just ended hard cut to the credits at that peak. The craziest what the fuck thing in the whole movie is where you end the movie, at least for horror, I would say. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, man, it would have been the perfect. She is pulling the water. Cut the credits. Perfect. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. Instead, we get this shitty hospital scene. And it's 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 a it's a downer. I think I didn't like it one I, bit. You know, Jason becomes the focal point after this. So it would have worked a lot better if it did just end. And then it's just like, you know, it's detached from the rest of the events of the first movie for sure. And it's apropos of nothing that Jason is alive (laughs) and in the lake, but it's such a crazy, what the fuck are you kidding me moment that you need to end it on that. Yeah. Like you really do need to end it. Yeah. They just make it. They they can't. They they pussied out. (sighs) They pussied out. Yep. Like, oh, you must have been seeing things. There's nobody else there. Like, where? But the Jason was there. Yeah. And then we get a cut to uh, the water, and then you see the little bubbies. Uh, Oh, Jason's still in the water. Yeah. And movie over. So that was. Friday. It's really okay. Starring starring Ice Cube. No, oh, that was Friday the thirteenth. Hey, that, <laughs> yeah. That's a better movie than Friday the thirteenth. You know what? Probably. Probably. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I think overall I'm kinda disappointed with the first one. Um I feel like it's kinda overrated. It's important for the history of horror films and the history of slasher films, but I don't think it's necessarily that great. It has these kind of cookie cutter, not great characters with nothing to them. It has not too many kills that are like creative. There's like, you know, the arrow through the bed and the decapitation later that are super memorable, but like, I don't know. A lot of them you don't even see. And it's it's kind of just like weird. And Pamela being the main villain, even though she's introduced 20 minutes from the end credits uh, <laughs> and like just a lot of stuff like that really sticks out to me as being not great. Slapdash together a bit because it was. You know, just to capitalize on the success of Halloween. Which, you know, I I applaud them for doing it and everything because it's cool that this little independent movie that could um, went on to become this giant franchise. But that doesn't mean this one's that good. I I don't know. How do you feel about it? (laughs) I think it's just like really okay. I understand the importance of it. It did a lot for for the genre of horror as like a whole. Yeah. At least like the popular side of it. I just think that uh, in a lot of aspects, it falls short. Yeah, for sure. 
I know we talked about so, this before, but um, I'm an advocate for Sleepaway Camp being a better movie. Oh, I am too. I am too. Um, just because, like, <laughs> that movie has its own set of problems. But <laughs> Sleepaway Camp is a move is a horror movie about a camp where the camp is open. So that is a lot more fucked up at certain points. They utilize the setting better. They utilize the concept of the POV killer better uh, because it ends up being a character that is in the entire movie. And then they utilize the biggest, most what the fuck moment of the movie being the thing that you cut to credits on as well. It's really just a, a straight improvements all the way down bullet pointed. And it's a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Whether intentional completely or not, I think it was a bit tongue in cheek. Well, it's I, definitely I a movie that has to come out after Friday the 13th, because in many ways, it's a bit of a parody of this movie uh, and movies like it, of course. And I think that movie is a great time. Please watch that movie. It's on YouTube. You can just watch it on YouTube. The whole fucking thing. I guess nobody cares about the rights to Sleepaway Camp. It's just some asshole uploaded it to YouTube. So you can watch it if you want. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. But anyway, as far as Friday the 13th is concerned, let's talk a little bit about the release and everything. Uh, it had an extremely small budget, $550,000. But Paramount purchased the distribution rights of the independent film and went on to gross $59.9 million. Uh, huge profit off of this little independent movie that could. Now, just because it was successful does not mean that the critics liked it. <laughs> like a lot of horror movies at the time, uh, the response was, uh, you know, icy <laughs> at first, uh, with many critics decrying the violence in tone. Uh, Siskel and Ebert, in particular, uh, dedicated an entire episode of their TV show to dunking on it. Uh, and and Siskel was particularly venomous, uh, calling Sean Cunningham, quote, one of the most despicable creatures ever to infest the movie business. Uh, now, not only that, but in his uh, written review, Siskel gave away the ending and just because he didn't give a shit about the movie and he gave out an address for Charles Blue Dorn, who is the chairman, who was the chairman of Gulf and Western, uh, which was the owner of Paramount Pictures. And Siskel encouraged his readers to write letters in mass to Charles Blue Dorn, as well as Betsy Palmer and express their contempt for Friday the 13th. Um Jeez, dude. <laughs> this is before Twitter where, uh, you know, the massive uh, canceling culture thing that would happen is uh, maybe more people. But but the directed hate of receiving letters probably feels even worse, I'd have to imagine. And this is some targeted harassment that I uh, think is pretty uh, stupid. <laughs> like, regardless of whether you like the movie or not, that's kind of immature, Siskel. 
But uh, all right, dude. <laughs> now, despite all that, though, the film has uh, you know quite the legacy. It, it helped to firmly establish the slasher genre and became a cult hit. Um, if you look at the Rotten Tomatoes score, it takes a lot of modern reviews into consideration, which means it ends up with the not-so-bad rating of uh, 62%, which will be, I'm sad to say, the highest we get Ooh. for this entire franchise by a wide margin. <laughs> Indeed, it's the it's the only one that's fresh <laughs> out of all twelve films, which I guess is predictable. Uh, but we'll see how bad it gets. <laughs> um, Pooh boy, any last thoughts on the the Friday the thirteenth? I mean, nope. Just uh, <sighs> man, this is uh, a lot more average than I remember it being. And I hope the rest of the franchise isn't going to be this way. It just might. It just might. This might be a tough one to get to. It'll be interesting to talk about. Now, it, <laughs> the fun part about Friday the 13th is, yes, the movies do get worse, okay? But <laughs> yeah. what you get from it is some fucking hilarious, off-the-wall garbage. I'm excited for the memes because from what I like with the Friday the 13th, I know. And the one I think about is like, you know, scenes like the sleeping bag kill scenes like him beating that boxer and knocking his head off scenes like just just random weird scenes like this dude eating chocolate. Yeah, <laughs> like there's a lot of weird scenes. That's what it is, dude. That, that's that's the that's the best shit about Friday the Thirteenth. I'm looking forward to getting into that. Yeah. Uh, well, there's you know, twelve fucking movies. Well, eleven now, and uh, we'll see how everything shakes out. No rankings because we only got the one fucking movie. Uh, I'm gonna put it at number one. <laughs> Whoa! I'm gonna put it at number twelve. <laughs> I'm going to doubt that one right there. Oh, yeah. There's no way that the first one is going to be the worst one. Um, Cause at, at the, at the end of the day, it's, it's just like, it's like a six out of 10, you know, it's, yeah. it's nothing terrible no, and, it's not and it's great. important. It's important. So That's I'm going to give it a bit of leeway because. <sighs> so I would say next week, but it's probably still going to be this week. Uh, we're going to take a look at part two. Uh, from I believe it was just one fucking year later, <laughs> so um, it's probably a rushed mess. Oh yeah, uh, you got you got Jason being the villain for the first time, but no hockey mask. Uh, he has a, he a sack fucking... on his head. The original looking sack like boy. Scarecrow out here. Yeah. So we'll, we'll do that then. Uh, that's that's it. One of the twelve down. That's it. Oof. That's let's, it. Let's, that's it. That's it. Fuck you. Remember, kids, if you're gonna have sex, be sure to look out the window to see if a crazy ant is going to kill you first. Maybe deal with that before you have sex in a cabin underneath a dead body. Before you pre throw your bacon on the searing pan. <laughs> yeah. Before you fry up some bacon grease. Hey. This is disgusting. <laughs>
feel bad for Kevin Bacon. His last name is Bacon. No, nah, you know what? I don't feel bad. That's awesome. No, no that's, that's pretty fucking sick, bro. I got to be straight with you. That's pretty dope. 